It's going to put you outside your comfort zone. So they look at their high school careers and their club careers as getting the best of both worlds because by the time they get to college, they have two different atmospheres, two different environments, two different cultures. That just makes them a better, well-rounded player. That was Evan Barocas of Scorpion Soccer Club joining us on today's episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome to another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today I'll be joined by Scorpions SC co-director Evan Barocas and Scorpions ECL national coach Andre Reese. Hey guys, thanks so much for being here and joining the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much, Matt, for having us. Yeah, appreciate being here. Absolutely. Lots uh, lots going on with the club in, in, in general, even though it's it's January. You, know, you tend to think weather's kind of crappy here, things are quieting down, but you guys are, are staying busy. Last week you were at the ECL Florida Showcase and I know had a strong performance. I was down there as many of your matches as I could. Evan, just how'd you feel like things went down down in Florida for you guys? Yeah, down in Florida has always been a great event for us, not only just for our players in terms of their exposure, but just in terms of their performances. They're coming off of their high school seasons. So some of the kids are, are kind of beat up after long high school seasons. We, we get them at a good time. They're in, they're in good shape, and it's just kind of helping them mold themselves back into a, a club soccer format. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's been always a great event for us, and the kids always cherish the opportunity to travel down south and play on good fields and, and good weather. So they love it. Yeah, I've, I've been to a couple of those now, those East Nail showcases, and they're, and they're crazy for people. I've, I mean, uh, this one had 22 fields, I think, yeah. natural grass fields. I mean, we were all, I was talking to people, we were trying to estimate how many college coaches were there. I, it had to be over 300, right? Oh, no, Maybe way, more? Way more than that. So, so <laughs> I've been saying 300. I'm way off yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah. So actually, I was, I was texting with Jen Winagle, who's the ECNL chief officer, and she confirmed that there was over 900-plus college oh coaches. Oh, my God. Wow. So, three times as many as I thought. That's insane. What's that like? I, you guys, you guys can both answer this, but you know, as coaches and just trying to calm these, especially these uncommitted kids down, because yeah. I mean they're seeing, they're, oh, there's USC, there's there's Penn State, there's top notch, there's there's Tufts, there's Middlebury, there's all these great programs. How do you guys kind of calm them down and make it so they're not trying to put on an individual show in front of these coaches? Yeah, I mean, so Andre knows his best because he coaches at the college game as well, but really these kids are preparing for that, right, for the college game. So for us to kind of highlight that for them, say, listen, this is normal, this is going to be your norm when you get into college, understanding that there are going to be tough moments in the game, no one's perfect, the professionals aren't perfect, kids at college aren't perfect. So just helping them understand that mistakes will happen, but it's about how you respond to those mistakes that's going to ultimately outline your, your performance on the field. And uh, we, we, I'll let Andre go into a little bit more, but we always talk about our team culture and our club culture and making sure that, you know, maybe one day you might not have the best day, but maybe the next day it will be your moment to shine. So we, we definitely preach that, that teamwork and that team ethic where different people will shine on different days. So anything Yeah, I think one of the bigger things is getting them to simplify their game to start. I think not going too crazy from the beginning, playing two-touch, maybe connecting a simple pass and just building your confidence then allowing them to kind of flourish and be themselves. And kind of like Evan was saying, I think as long as their work rate doesn't falter, I think everybody's going to make mistakes and people are expecting that. So if they go make up for it with their work rate, I think they always showcase themselves well. I mean, I've still hung up on the 900 coaches. Like, I can't believe, like, 
I was thinking in my mind, like 300 to 400 is insane. Yeah. 900 is just crazy. I mean, you, you almost forget there's that many even programs across the country. How, how, when the players are coming home, when you're flying home, um, or when you talk to them after they get back, I mean, how do their mentalities change? Are some ever like, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't play up to my standards. I didn't deliver what I, what I could have delivered in, in, in a showcase like that in front of people who mattered. I mean, how do you... What's the, the fallout from these showcases? How do you kind of coach them up or down, or how do you level things off afterwards? Again, I don't think I don't think anybody's going to be perfect. Yeah. So I think it's about kind of tapering expectations of having those conversations before and after the showcases. And again, as long as they their character was good, as long as their work rate was good, and, and they showcased themselves well, they communicated, they didn't talk down to their teammates, all that stuff, I think the technical and the tactical stuff, they're always going to get other opportunities to showcase themselves. So Right. Yeah, I think they come in moments, right? And sometimes you're going to have good moments, sometimes you're going to have bad moments. But just helping them kind of see the bigger picture of, hey, can I consistently play at this level? Can I consistently impact the game at this level? And knowing that, again, good times and bad times are coming. So how can you how can you be resilient enough to kind of push through those bad times and cherish those good times? Evan, you mentioned something interesting right off the bat. Just these kids are coming off a long high school season, prep season, that, that ends in late November. And they kind of need that decompress time, and then they're coming. They're coming to you guys to start training again. How, what's that? What's that December like for you guys in January? I mean, how much? How much of a workload do you try to put on them, and how much? How cognizant of you are you of of what you know the amount of soccer they've already played, and maybe they need to, yeah. to chill a little. It's it's tough for us because as coaches, we're ecstatic that our high school kid age groups are back, right? And we're we're fired up and we're ready to go. But these kids mentally and physically are, are again, drained after a 20-game season. So we, we definitely have to balance the expectations with the reality. And we I think we do a good job of understanding where players are at. And we have great individual conversations with those with those players to kind of best understand where they are physically and mentally. And then we kind of cater things from there. But honestly, for us, it's, it's excitement but then followed by frustration because at the end of the day, a lot of these kids are, are coming back from the high school programs where they're the best players on their team and they have some habits that, like we talked about earlier, where we talk about team work ethic and team unity and you know, they're coming back from the high school programs and not that they've gotten into bad habits. Right, let me interject real quick right there because yeah. that's something I was gonna, that was going to be a follow-up because sure. some of these kids, they might be playing a, a, as a forward on their high school team yeah. and their top goal <laughs> scorer and then maybe on on your team, there's a different role, and yeah. they, they have to. They're not so much the goal creator. They're they're something different. I mean, right. that's hard. I think for a kid to wear separate hats and understand what I mean to one team is not necessarily what I mean to another team. Yeah, hundred percent. But we we try to pose it in a way that you're going to learn a lot more from having different experiences and putting yourself into different environments where, you know what, maybe your team at club level won't require you to dribble around three or four players and create a Maybe they're just requiring you to play two-touch, like Andre was saying, be part of the transition part of the game and, and do well on both ends of the ball, where maybe it's high school, they have to be the playmaker and the goal scorer and the defender. So we, we try to pose that, listen, it's a, it's a wonderful challenge. It's going to put you outside your comfort zone, right? And honestly, that's how we we try to pose it so they look at their high school careers and their club careers as getting the best of both worlds because by the time they get to college, they have two different atmospheres, two different environments, two different cultures. That just makes them a better, well-rounded player. I think I think one thing from the high school that's a huge benefit for the kids is that from a psychosocial kind of standpoint, from a maturity standpoint, they usually are leaders on their high school team or maybe on their club team they don't have to be. So I think for the club team, I think it's a great environment because I think we come into November and we're like, wow, 
this and this kid came back a completely different person. They're yeah. they're leading the warm up. They're they're running the team chat. They're they're doing all these types of things that maybe last year they weren't just because they took on that kind of huge social role in their team. Right. Right. How would you guys kind of describe the competition at these showcases, such as Eastern Florida? I know you step outside of your conference and you're playing kind of like like minded talent from from across the country, but. I would assume it gives you a pretty good measuring stick of where you fit against other teams across the country. But uh, what's the level of competition there? Yeah, I mean, I think the level of competition across UCNL is very strong. I think we're, we have the benefit of our conference, I think, being one of the strongest conferences in the country, especially from a physical standpoint. I think our conference is very physical. It's a grind. Every game is nail-biter. It's crazy. So I think... When we go down, we play teams from down south and out west, and they play a little bit of a different brand of soccer. I was going to say, does the is the northeast typically more physical, or is, is the west coast more? I mean, how would you kind of are there different pockets of the country where they play different soccer? Yeah, I think everybody has a little bit of both, but stereotypically, I would say, yeah, the northeast yeah. would be a little yeah, bit more. That's physical. what we like to say all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah, we we were talking down in Tennessee to Arlington Soccer Club DOC. And it's actually kind of funny because we were sitting there. He said we have we have a great team, great club. And he asked us how many kids we have in our club. And we're like, yeah, we got like 700. He goes, oh, 700 in this age group. I said, no, 700 in the entire club. Yeah. And he goes, Are you kidding me? And I said, no. <laughs> and he goes, we have 15,000 kids in our in our program. Oh man. So for us, we love the idea that we're going into these East Hill showcases as a as. Not, not really an underdog, but really kind of up against it, against some of these bigger clubs that are nationally known. And, and it just gives us that much more, a little bit of firepower to say, hey, we're going to grind with you. We're going to play with you. And yeah, we got players that can do good things amongst the top kids against the top teams in the country. So You mentioned that the amount of the numbers that you have within the within the club. Let's talk about how the club has progressed over the years. When, when did Scorpion start? What year was it? So S- Scorpion started back in 1998 under Fred Marks. He started out here in actually Braintree. So started as a small club did it for the benefit of high school kids playing club soccer in his local area and then it just flourished from there he was one of the first one of the yeah one of first of two clubs to really start here in Massachusetts especially on the girl side and that really flourished from there so fast forward now what 23 years he I started working for the club back in 2014 I'm very thankful for him in terms of what he not only provided me but the other two directors Nick and Darren in terms of our start and working full-time in youth soccer and then from there we, we started getting a little bit more ingrained in the club started taking on a little bit more responsibilities and then in 2018 Fred decided to step away from it and, and kind of passed off the leadership to us and since then club's grown tremendously in terms of numbers, hopefully as well in terms of reputation. And f- from there, not only have our, our ECNL team, team our ECNL teams have done well, but our regions have done well. So Fred's still working for us in the East and, and helping us grow the East region. We have great staff members, obviously like Andre here with us today, um, but also Taylor and Corey in the Metro West who are helping grow our girls and boys program. So it, it's been a unified effort. It hasn't always been easy. In 2018, I think we had maybe 300 kids in the club. Wow. So for us to be four years on and 700 kids plus in the club and good affiliations, we're, we're really proud of that progress. We're really humbled by it. But we, we do year after year stick to our core principles and, and core values, and it helps us grow and helps us be successful both on and off the field. So we're, we're, we're really happy with where we are, but you know, we're, we're looking for the next, the next thing. Yeah, that's some pretty good, since 2018, that's pretty substantial growth for the club. Where are you drawing players from? What's, in terms of, like, outreach, like, how far? Sometimes I'll do these commitment stories for kids at certain clubs, and they'll be like, oh, I'm 
90 minute drive to and from the yeah. facility. I'm like, man, you are not like, I'm yeah. not, I'm in high school. I'm not driving 90 minutes for, for much. Right. It's crazy what the, the commitment these kids have, but what's the outreach for you guys? How far are you, are you drawing kids from? Yeah. So within our regions, like I said, Fred's out in the East. So those kids are a little bit more geographically drawn to this area, but they're driving, you know, 25, 30 minutes there. Metro West program is mostly our Franklin, Rentham and, and Walpole areas. And then our ECNL program. Yeah. We we're drawing kids from some of them drove an hour and 45 minutes wow. to two hours to get to practices and we had we have girls out from western mass pioneers in that area driving out to us an hour and a half hour and 45 minutes north of that so it's been that's got to be evidence to you guys that you're doing something right i mean if players are willing to to do that if their parents i mean i know a lot of it falls on the parents if the parents are willing to make that commitment that has to show you guys there hey there's some proof in the pudding that we're the product we have is pretty good yeah i mean the the best best scenario I could ever think about in terms of that happening was Maddie Theriot from Western Mass. I was out there playing for Pioneers. She came to a game at a 13-year-old, and I stayed out there to help with the clinic, and I thought this kid was amazing, yeah. right? And I had to give her my business card. I had to at least try, but no way would I ever think the kid would drive two hours to us <laughs> and play for us. And she ended up doing it for five years, and um, now she's at Fairfield on a full ride. So it definitely panned out for them, but these are the, this is the trust that a lot of parents and players put in us. And we're just happy that we can at least provide the exposure and the level of training that they need to get to that next level. New England's Soccer Journal's The Goal will return after this. Hey, here's a great new idea in fundraising. Soccerhead's New England Comedy Fundraisers. This is better than a stand-up show. It's an event that your community will never forget. You'll get soccer-themed comedy with Paul Nardizzi, who has been on Conan O'Brien, and Nesson Comedy All-Stars, along with Dave Radigan from Serious Radio Comedy and Jim Ruberti. There will also be giveaways and all sorts of extras. Want to make money for your soccer club and have fun while doing it? Email the guys at SoccerHeadsNewEngland at gmail.com. That's SoccerHeadsNewEngland at gmail.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England soccer? New England Soccer Journal and NESoccerJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England soccer scene. Have every issue of New England Soccer Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to NESoccerJournal.com to receive soccer coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, division one, two, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and so much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to anysoccerjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Soccer Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. Andre, as a coach, do you see 
any like burnout with players from making these commutes? I mean, do you feel like it gets to a certain point where, oh man, I got, I have homework, I have my social life. I'd like to, I mean, that's one thing I think that these kids really, I marvel at is like the fact they can put that social life aside and, and kind of concentrate on the, on the task at hand. But do you see any burnout from players? Do you see, is there ever like kids like, Oh, it's still worth it. Don't, don't, or don't bail on it yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the more difficult things to manage yeah. as a coach, player, parent. I think, I think it's important to have those conversations and be an open, be an open book. So kids can go up to you and be like, Hey coach, I have midterms tomorrow or, Hey, I just came from basketball practice. I just drove an hour. Especially in this winter period, we have right. kids playing basketball, we have kids playing hockey. We have kids out in the Cape that are, have hockey practice or drive an hour and a half yeah. to practice. But I think I think in the college game, at least from my experience, it it gives them this resilience that when everybody's always concerned, oh, can I manage the academics and the athletic piece when I go to college? If you're doing it at the club level, you can do it at the college level because you're doing it in the car, you're doing it in a plane, right. whereas the college level... It's all right there for yeah, you. it's yeah. right there. You're right. maybe two minutes from your practice facility. So I think I think it helps them manage their time and, and have like an organized schedule to their day and, and kind of just mature in that sense. What's kind of... How would you describe the overall pathway at the club? I mean, how early are our kids getting in on the club? And then what's like the... The, the goal is obviously to, to place these kids at college programs ultimately, but are you having a lot of kids come in early and stay with the club throughout for 10, 12 years? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like our 06 team that Andre now coaches, I think there's 18 kids on that team right now. And 12 or 13 of them have been with us since the U10, U11 age groups. But yeah, uh, I mean, generally speaking, we, we bring in programs, competitive teams at U8, offered all the way up to U18, U19. And then we started our women's UWS program for U23 and plus kids, for kids coming back from school. So from, from that perspective, our regions do a great job offering different levels of different teams within there. So any kid that comes in and is aspiring to be a part of our culture, be part of our program, we, we have different levels of team for you. And that's, that's I think, not something we had back when we first started. So now having those different layers really allows us to kind of place kids appropriately in terms of putting them in a position where they're going to succeed, but they're also going to feel challenged and they're going to grow within our program. And to be able to offer stateside programs like the NESEL, plus obviously ECL National, ECL Regional Leagues. So be able to have all those different layers of, of uh, leagues allows us to promote and, and, and develop players as far as they want to reach. So it's, it's been great. So I have two boys who play soccer, yeah, amongst other sports too. But I, I, I'm always curious. I ask this to everyone as selfishly as a parent, but also on behalf of other parents. When do you think it's right for a kid to dive into that that club soccer world? Because like it's the, the this world of special specializing in sports is. Yeah. I don't know how much I agree. I mean, I as a, I just it's we're, it's constantly evolving. I don't know how much I agree with that. I don't know how we too what is too young to get involved in just one sport, but. Club is a commitment. So when when do you think and how do you think a parent should know if their kid's ready for, for club soccer? Well, I'm, I'll pass this off to Andre in a bit, yeah. but I think that you look at the kids' desires. And like Andre said, we have kids that are still playing multi-sports. So we, we are a club that believes in multi-sport athletes, right? We believe that cross-training is a very healthy right. to a kid to an athlete's life, right, into a kid's social life. From our end, if a kid is... A, in love with the game, we just want to offer another outlet for them to develop and have maybe better coaching and better competition to do so. And we speak with a lot of these town programs and we have great affiliations with them. And it's never to, hey, we want to take your players. That's right. never our, our motto. Our goal is, hey, how can we supplement this kid's playing time and, and, and training environment? So that way, when you guys do pass them off to their middle school and high school teams, they're representing your high school program as best they possibly can. Yeah. And the furthermore, obviously, 
the more kids we get to influence in the game, the better our jobs become right. because we get to influence more soccer players. Like Andre, before you go, like I know it's it can get contentious in like the basketball world with some of these AAU programs and some of these high school yeah. coaches because they feel like the AAU programs might be poaching their best players or teaching them differently than the high school teams. Yeah. Like that that is that the hardest is that hard to navigate for you guys as a club to be like we this is kind of coexisting with with high schools and, and travel programs and all that stuff. Is that a hard relationship? Yeah, I think the biggest benefit is that the high school season's in the fall. Right. So our high school players don't start up with us till after that. I think there is that transition period where, where you know, like, again, like we talked about before, maybe their, their role is completely different for their high school. So I think there is a bit of transition. I think the most difficult period is them playing those multi-sports because, okay, now they have basketball, they have hockey, and then they're coming to us. So I think that's where that little maybe conflict, you could call it, comes into play a little bit. But again, we try to work with all our players as best as they can because we don't want to force them into any decision that they don't want to make. We want to support everything they want to do. Some players play multiple sports right up until they go to college. Other players, they, maybe they get to their junior year and they're like, okay, I just got committed to a Division One school. Now I'm going to specialize in soccer and really take my game to the next level. So I think it's a balance, but again, I think we're open to, to kids that play multi-sports for sure. That's yeah. good. That's refreshing. Because I think, and I think your, you guys' mentality is becoming more of a, it's, it, it can be a common mentality. I think this, I, I don't know whoever started the specializing in sports thing, but most people I talk to agree with you guys where it's like, no, we... You develop better coordination playing all these sports, develop different skills, and I think socially it's just huge, like you guys touched on. Yeah, I mean, I grew up playing hockey, basketball, baseball, soccer. And, <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I played all of them up until my sophomore year of high school, and then I just kind of, I, I was I was a really good soccer player, I was a pretty good basketball player, but I really just kind of took hold right. of my soccer development, and my parents didn't have to say anything. It just I said, hey, this is what I want to yeah. do. This Sorted is itself in. out, yeah. And I, I think... I think as I mean we're not parents, so we we're not we're not preaching to anyone here. But we we don't we we truly believe that it has to be the kid's decision, and we still say that to this day. Where to be frank, we have parents in the club landscape who push their kids in a certain direction, and we want that to be an internal desire, not an external desire, from whether it be us or the parents. Right. Yeah, that is the hard part about being a parent. As I'm learning, I mean, my oldest is only 11, but that is hard yeah. because like. You you have a certain you you have a you have a view of your kid. They have their view. It's yeah. like you have to find that happy medium, mm -hmm. and ultimately they have to make that that choice. You guys had a, a showcase, an internal showcase on MLK Day. Yeah. I understand thirty five colleges were there. Let's, yeah, so we we've been in contact with a lot of these colleges over the course of the showcases that we went down to in Tennessee and Florida. We're we're trying not only have good relationships up here, but continue to grow those relationships up here, especially with these New England schools. So we reached out. We got just over thirty college coaches to come to an internal event which kind of hosted uh, 150 players from our 08, 07 age group. So it's like the class of 2025 and 2026. And then afterwards, we had our recruitable class year, which was like our 04s and sorry, our class of 2024s and 2023s. And they basically just played and scrimmage in front of these college coaches. And the feedback that we got from a lot of our schools were was fantastic. We provided a great atmosphere, a, a great literature in terms of our, our player sheets and our in our um in our recruitment timelines and stuff like that for the kids. So it was a really good event, and we're, it's definitely something we're going to continue to do next year as well. How important are these internal showcases for you guys and, and just for clubs in general to kind of have it on your on your grounds and on your turf and kind of host the thing? How important is that? Yeah, I think Andrew will touch upon maybe more the college end of it. Yeah. From us, it was very important coming back from Tennessee and Florida to have such an unbelievable exposure down there for all our teams to come back and really kind of solidify what those coaches saw down there 
amongst our own players so that way they can make a decision in terms of is this a kid that i would like to welcome to my program how are they as teammates how do they play in different positions so it really kind of just gave us we think a, a little bit of a different edge in terms of getting our kids out there in front of the coaches and showing them a little bit different but i mean andre was there as well and i think you can talk a little bit more about from the college perspective yeah i think it's huge because it it focuses on our kids a bit more when you're going to these showcases they're great but as a college coach, you're down there and you're watching a couple hundred players and maybe you're there for 15, 20 minutes and the kid maybe touched the ball a couple of times and you have to go to another field and watch somebody else. So I think it gives the coaches an opportunity to really focus in on these kids and it allows our kids to showcase themselves the best they can because they're two hours in front of 30 plus Division One, two, three schools from New England and it really allows them to showcase their abilities the best they can. Do you think college coaches, when they go to these big national showcases, do they go into these with like a, a short list, five, 10 players who they really want to hone in and see, or are they kind of bouncing from field to field and just seeing if anyone catches their eye? Like, what do you think is their, their mentality going into it's a little this? bit of a mixture of both? Yeah. You're, these kids are emailing the coaches. Yeah. So that will always help you kind of make your schedule and your list. Oh, let me get to this kid. Let me go watch this game. Obviously between club recommendations, maybe club coach really recommends his player. So that a coach might go out and watch that because of that. Or there might be a couple club teams that that school has success recruiting from. So that will also help them fill in their schedule. So it's really a balance of kids they've identified, people who've reached out to them, and these relationships that they have with certain clubs. Yeah, because I was trying to put myself in like a college coach's shoes at one of those things. And I'm like, I'm looking at it from my perspective. I'm trying to just see as many New England teams as I can see. And that's like a daunting task. I'm like, oh, I didn't even see that team. I got caught up watching this game. And, and like... I don't know how the recruiting game is crazy because I don't know how they have enough hours in the day yeah. to see these players, figure out what fits in their system. I mean, there's just so many top-notch players out there that it's going to be crazy. Yeah, and and they're only bringing in six or seven kids a class. Right. So I think that's why it's really important for us as a club to try to put these kids in front of them as much as possible, whether it's with the ECNL showcases, other showcases outside of that, our internal showcase, to give them the best opportunity to, to – to get recruited by those schools. Yeah, and I think to add to that, right, you were saying, do they go there and watch certain kids? Obviously, from our recommendations, maybe they will, especially for the older age groups like his juniors and seniors that they're watching now. But really, they're coming to watch freshmen and sophomores and just kind of making a little tick mark to say, hey, I'm going to come watch him play at the next showcase or next year because that's when they can actually be recruitable. So I, I think I think he does a great job, obviously, understanding that and, and really kind of prioritizing our juniors and seniors who are recruitable and, and helping as well see our sophomores and freshmen showcase themselves as best they can. What are the, uh, what would you say are the kind of the, the goals for the club this spring? What are you looking to see? Um, which kind of what's the, the overall outlook for the, for the club? So the springs from, from a club perspective, I don't think we've been in a, I don't think we haven't been in a better position than we are now uh, in terms of elite programs in our East Metro West programs, especially on the boys side as well. They're all gearing up for that start of the spring. I think we got a great league structure as well in the NACL. And I think they're, they're ready to kind of take that next step in terms of, Hey, can we maybe go win this bracket of the league? So I think our, our regional directors and our staff and our coaches have done a great job in terms of preparing our players for that. From an ECNL perspective, we're, we're really now kind of have to shift things a little bit because this year the conference has all bearings on whether or not where you go in terms of ECNL playoffs. So the conference, as competitive as it was in years past, it just becomes that much more brutally competitive because you're, you're fighting for the higher-end bracket at, at ECNL National. So it's going to be an interesting spring for sure. Like Andre said, this, this Northeast Conference, there's no wiggle room, there's no easy matches, which, again, 
kind of prioritizes and focuses us as coaches and pass it on to those players that every practice matters. So although we're thinking about the spring, we got to take it one day at a time and focus on developing and preparing these kids physically and tactically so that when we hit the spring, we're, we're ready to go. Do you guys have a club within the conference that you kind of view as your rival club? Is there, is there a, a club that you guys get up for? Maybe the, maybe the kids kind of know each other. There's kind of some, some overlapping on those teams or yeah of course it is. you know that answer now come on no it's listen we obviously fc stars has been has been a, a great program yeah. over the years and we've we've done a good job in terms of leveling the yeah. playing field for sure and we are we are good friends with most of them over there i was especially. gonna say because you guys i mean you're all you're yeah. friendly with each other of course, you're all friendly of course but yeah. when game day comes all bets are off right and we're, we, everyone's there to win everyone's there to compete so obviously we have a healthy relationship with them but for sure we're we're, we're always striving to make sure that we make our best impression against them in, in the conference for sure. What will what will like the rest of January and February look like? I know, I mean, we've actually had decent weather for this winter. I mean, I, it hasn't been no snow yet, knock on wood, but I mean, what can you accomplish in those two months and how much of a important part of the calendar is that kind of leading into when things ramp up in March and April? Yeah, I mean, I was even reminding my teams this past week that we actually have a showcase down in, in, in Long Island on that last weekend of February. So we're really about five weeks away from playing games again. So so it, it may seem like it's like a long training period, but it's really a quick turnaround. So it's really about working on a couple of those things that we can improve as a team. This is really the player's only opportunity to maybe improve physically, increase their fitness levels, maybe hit the gym, get stronger a bit. Because once we jump into the season, we're training three times a week, we're probably playing two games on the weekend. So there's really that physical ability to, to get fitter and to get stronger. So it's only going to happen by, by playing games. And this is really the only period they have that they can probably hit the gym a little bit. They can increase their fitness level. So I think from that point of view, I think that's the biggest area of growth at this time. Yeah. By the end of that third game in Florida last last week, where all those teams pretty gassed after the play. I mean, three games, three days. The temperatures weren't bad there, I guess, but it's still blazing sun. It's still low to mid seventies. What was kind of their their yeah? I mean, after? It, they have to deal with the uh, the difference in grass, right? We play on right. mostly artificial turfs up here, fields up here. The heat was definitely a factor, and then you got to look at the competition as well. We played the O sevens played two southern teams, so for them to a team from Texas and a team from Tampa, understanding that they they are acclimated to that weather definitely plays a toll on them so for for us it's more about how do we how do we prepare for our spring season making sure that the condition but the the fields down there were in great great condition for sure but definitely tolling on the on the body after three days in that heat and in that weather as well so yeah we all i mean i think in tennessee the same thing i think we all played southern teams in every game yeah. so definitely a little bit of transition one of the biggest things the dcnl this year in the showcases they're a lot they have allowed unlimited subs so i think that's huge for us especially yeah since we're coming from the northeast and we're playing 30 degrees and we're going down and playing 70 degrees whereas last year it's if you come out get subbed out in the first half you can't go back into the right. second half so i think that helped our teams out quite a bit yeah i was curious about that because i i talked to some coaches down there who weren't crazy necessarily crazy about the unlimited substitutions i i, I get would, would guess it's probably more from a, a college coach's perspective i mean if you're trying to see a kid and like they're in and out and there's not they're not get really getting in that flow of the of the game that might but but i would think like like you said like with that heat and something they're not accustomed to that's probably good to be able to get kids out and in and out and more kids are getting playing time too i guess yeah i think it has positives and negatives yeah obviously i think we've talked about it a bit too that 
yeah, maybe the game starts and stops a little bit too much. So mm-hmm. maybe it would be great if they had like, hey, you can sub at the 15 minute mark, the 30 minute mark, and that way it less stops to the game. But I do think from a player safety perspective, I think it's huge because if you have four subs and you make those four subs, you're going to have a kid out there for 45 minutes that maybe could use a sub, yeah. whether it's to hydrate, whether they're getting tight, they're cramping up. So I think from a player safety perspective, I think it's big. How do you guys like the travel aspect of, of club soccer? I mean, you guys are going all over the place. Your jet setter is all yeah. traveling the country. How do you like that? We're not looking forward to this, these next couple of weeks because we go to Vegas for the symposium. We just got back from Florida, and then a couple of weeks before that, we were in Tennessee. So it's definitely part of our lives. Our Well, my wife and his girlfriend hate it, but we, we're, we're gone most weekends, which is really tough on just from a family aspect and from a friend aspect, right? We don't get to spend much of our weekends with friends of other than obviously our staff friends that we we get to see every weekend but it, it is definitely tolling but that's why during those dime during those downtimes in terms of the winter and christmas months or the summer try to take full advantage of it because kind of what what season lies ahead and and how many hours you have to put into yeah. it yeah well, good stuff, guys. It was great watching uh, your teams play last week in Florida. That was a, a, I like going to these things because, like I said, I mean, they're, it's just a crazy it's just a crazy atmosphere. I mean, <laughs> again, 900 college coaches. Think about that. That's wild <laughs> that, that they were there last week. Appreciate you guys coming in and uh, doing the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much, Matt. Yeah, thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thanks again to Evan Barocas and Andre Reese for joining the podcast. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media Production.